Hello, and welcome to Legally Speaking, a podcast series that aims to make the law and legal issues that affect you, your business, and your everyday life more accessible. As this series is brought to you by Eisen Harrison Solicitors, the Yorkshire law firm, I'm pleased to say that in this episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Waring, Managing Director, and Richard Coulthard, Director at Eisen Harrison, to discuss an important development that may be the way forward for your business too. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Simon. Good morning. So, to kick off straight away, what made Eisen Harrison want to become an employee ownership trust? Okay, so <laughs> let's start by saying that um, what an employee ownership trust is, I suppose, and and because um, it's, it's it's not the easiest or most accessible phrase. It basically means that the business is owned by the employees, so it's an employee-owned business, and that's probably a better way of, of describing it. Why did we want to go down that route? Well, simply put, it allows for succession planning. So there were three owners of the business, and actually, where could this go? You know, with the other alternatives out there in terms of um, sorting out succession, whether it be a trade sale, whether it be a merger, um, or any or floating or anything like that. It also needed to fit for our perspective, um, to allow some key individuals within the firm to progress and have their own careers and drive the business forward as well. That would would have been more difficult, I feel, with any other solution. And of course, we felt as if there was a cultural fit around it as well. Um, we'll go into how difficult it is to actually do this and actually how what the, the intricacies around it. But in, in, in short, we've converted into an employee-owned business effectively on behalf of the staff uh, all of the employees within the business and there's a board of directors which include um, five key individuals who've come onto the board who are now going to drive the business forward. Are there any existing examples uh, that people may be aware of that are similar or is it very different from for instance John Lewis? It's not very different to John Lewis. Uh, that, that would be the, the, the one that everyone knows about. There's Ardman Productions out there, the people who made uh, Wallace and Gromit or make Wallace and Gromit there's Go Ape and things like this. So it, it, it's become more and more popular. There's probably about a thousand businesses out there, but there are only 10 law firms out there that have done this. Um, it's fairly novel for, for law firms. I think it might be something more common going forward um, but because there's so many advantages, I suppose, for, for not just law firms, but businesses generally, I suppose. So as Jonathan says that, you know, there are a number of intricacies to this. What is the process and is it relatively easy to start and uh, what what are the stages that you're likely to go through okay well in, in theory it is quite easy because it's basically a, a sale of shares from founder owners to a trust but of course it's not easy to actually structure that um, in legal documentation so in theory it's actually easier than other transitions or sales because it's not the same level of due diligence involved. There's no banks involved. It's no third party dealing. So actually, it's, it's a bit more controlled, as it were, and less stressful in some ways. Um, so you've got a different model. You've got a trust, but you've got a, a board of trustees. There's a board of directors and there's duties of each of those that need to be considered. There's a lot of paperwork. You need the approval of um, HMRC. You need the approval in our case, because we're a law firm, we needed the approval of the SRA, our regulator. And that may be the case for other professional bodies too. And then you've got the internal communications, which it's not straightforward as to actually how to bring people with you, despite the fact that it's pretty good news for everybody. So Richard, how does this compare to 
other employee share schemes that are available for businesses to pursue? So I think the first um, difference, other than obviously a structural difference, um, is an employee ownership trust is for the benefit of all employees. Um, and it has to be for the benefit of all employees. Um, whereas other employee share schemes potentially could be for the benefit of a minority or you know it might be for a management team, something like growth shares. Um, you could have uh, an EMI scheme, but again, you might be selective as to who is involved in that process. Um, I Sorry, suppose, do you mind me just asking for you to clarify EMI scheme? Uh, so it's the Enterprise Management Incentive, um, which allows certain employees to benefit financially when there is a, a sale of the business. Growth shares is, is potentially enables uh, certain employees to have ongoing benefits during the, the course of their employment. I suppose for a business owner, the key is is really what's the aim around having a share scheme and what's the direction of travel. Um, An EOT ultimately is a form of succession. The existing owners are relinquishing control and has to be, to get the tax benefits, relinquishing more than 51% of control of the business. And that differs to some of the other schemes that might be available. So, Jonathan... What challenges were you faced with trying to bring everybody with you, even though there are quite clear benefits to all employees as part of the scheme? Well, we've got two challenges. We have the challenges of the um, the actual process and then the, then the communications. The process itself, we needed to get SRA authorization that I mentioned. We needed to have the legal aid agency because we do legal aid work. They need to, uh, to, to approve it. The bank needed to approve it. Lender panels, because we do a lot of conveyancing, they needed to register that we, there was a change of ownership going on and be comfortable with it too. Internally, there are language changes in terms of, you know, people um, being employee owners as opposed to staff, as it were. There is no handbook. We have the 10th firm to have done this. You can't just simply get a handbook up and say, well, how, how do you do this? Because it needs to fit with your culture as well. And that's where the communications came in. So we've been very open internally for more than six months before we actually transformed into an employee-owned business and told everybody within the firm. And amazingly, no one actually talked about it outside of the business. They, They were Tells me to speak at home and all the rest of it, but actually, I think they bought into the to, to the excitement or the or the novel thing that we were trying to achieve with it. I think one of the other um, things that we had long discussions about long before we'd communicated this to staff was yeah. about the intricacies of how the trust would operate. Is yeah. that, you know, how does the profit share work? You know, who's going to be your trustees? How is your employee forum going to be made up? So there's all sorts of intricacies that actually require quite involved conversations because everyone's got an opinion and is actually trying to get a consensus as to what the best way forward is. One change that I've noticed is obviously you were partner before and Jonathan was managing partner. Now you're both directors. In legal terms, is there a significant difference between being a partner and a director? Um, yes and no, I suppose. We now have a board of directors. There was a board previously, which was made up of the three founders plus one other. We've now got a board of eight. Partners is is essentially a title. It's still an employed role, um, but the business is managed by the board of directors. So to both of you, we've talked about the, the benefits to employees. What are those benefits for you know employees that would like to encourage their management teams to possibly go in this direction or a management team considering a change for the entire business? 
Okay, well, we're early days, so we're six weeks in now. So um, perhaps not all of the benefits have been um, experienced by everybody yet. However, speaking with other firms, other businesses, um, those others that have done it, it seems to be probably in this order. And we did something of a, a survey as to what people within the firm were hoping that it would achieve for them as well. So Kate, what came out number one was actually, I'm going to be entitled to a profit share. I'm going, At the end of the year, provided we make a profit, I will get a certain amount of that. And we made a decision at board level that actually the profit share um, would be equal for everybody um, within the firm, irrespective of where you sat in the business. Of course, your salary is different, but the profit share wasn't. And that that was something that we we felt was appropriate and fitted with our culture. But not all of people do that. John Lewis, for example, they will be a percentage of salary. So everyone gets the same percentage as, as, as a share. Um, but, but for us, we just wanted it to be something transparent so that people could look at each other and go, great, what are you going to do with yours kind of thing? But it'd be the same amount. The other element is security would come into play, I suppose, because the whole risk and uncertainty as to um, who's going to own us, what's going to happen if such and such leaves and things like that is pretty well reduced. Influence, there's a greater influence that you could have in terms of how a business operates um, and actually what happens um, in terms of the values and cultures of the business as well. There's a pride element, there's a respect element, all of those things tend to increase as a consequence of being an employee owner. I'm assuming then that there's, there's certain voting rights that also come as part of that. Is that right? Or? No, it's very important to understand that this isn't actually a collective. Um, so we've got a management, we've got a board of directors, okay, and they lead and drive the business. And their their responsibility, their commission is to drive it as ethically well and as profitably as they can for the benefit of the trust, which is looking after all employees. That's the commission. However, they will be influenced and there are communication um, routes and feedback loops and all the rest of it within the within our business anyway and within all successful businesses whereby you bring people with you and that people can influence. Um, but no, there are no voting rights. Um, this is not a collective. This is a very strong business model for, for continued growth and prosperity for the business. So on that basis, Richard, how have you engaged with employees and, and taken them with you on the process? So I think um, we've had very open communications with employees from from very early on, actually before it was you know, before we'd actually transitioned. Uh, we, we've asked them for for feedback. We've we've put out videos. Um, we're going to be setting up a, a, an employee council, so actually there'll be representatives from across different aspects of the firm, different teams, different levels, so that they can get different feedbacks. Uh, and there's various projects within the firm that we'd, we'd obviously the directors are leading it. They might be heading a particular project, but we're bringing different people in at different levels, so actually we can get a range of opinion. And I think that the, the feeling that I get from from the staff is they're very much engaged in that because actually they feel like they have a, a degree of control, a degree of influence. Have you seen any other specific response from employees to the change? Obviously, as you say, you're only six weeks in, but early days, have they, have they all run gung-ho into it or has it been a kind of... <laughs> gentle steps. Um, I, I, I'm at risk here of saying you would say that, wouldn't you? Um, because maybe I only see things through, through my rose-tinted glasses. I would say that there's there's a significant number of people who are really quite enthusiastic about it and comforted about it because, of course, it is change, but it's not the biggest change internally, as you would expect. You've still got the same work to do, same line manager, the same um, people that you're working with. And, of course, 
people have valued very much, who they're working with. The board of directors has changed slightly, but other than that, we're, there's there's a comfort that's come around. It's positive change, but it's not a negative one that's impacting upon me. I think that's at one end of the spectrum of, of, of response. I can all go all the way through to the other end of the spectrum, which is ambivalence, which is whatever. But I have experienced a little bit of that, but not everybody needs to be completely involved. It is their choice, but if they want to be, they can be. Yeah, I suppose, Richard, that that's a question of understanding the full process or a kind of suck it and see, I suppose. I think- Those who may have, have you know, initially shown an ambivalent response i think it can be difficult maybe for some of the employees to actually comprehend perhaps the significance of it we hold a business briefing every year we we did ours a few weeks ago uh, and i think it re- that really sort of hit home with quite a lot of people when we started running through the figures and actually what financially this might mean for them uh, and actually the, the process i think there's a real understanding there. there's a real positive vibe that comes off the back of that as well yeah we were able to talk about profitability in the first time for for the first time that we ever have so we've always talked about turnover and successful teams and individuals and whether hit targets and things like this but we've never really we've always shied away from profit now we talk about profit and we've actually got a target profit for this forthcoming year and if we hit that profit we're also able to explain this is what it would mean probably in terms of a profit share for you um, individually and then that that did cut through because for the first three thousand six hundred pounds of a profit share to an individual that is tax-free so that does change someone's year it doesn't change their life but it certainly changes their year and I think people did resonate that actually I can I can influence the profitability of this business in my small way and I will get a direct uh, benefit from that this is only my perspective but I'm assuming based on what you've just told me that ambivalence won't last much longer when they understand I think the I think Richard's from... right following the business briefing it, people have actually resonated a little bit more with it but when we first started talking about it about six months ago it was, I'm not quite sure what that is. And actually, ridiculously, it has benefited from being repeated and repeated about setting up a trust, having a board of directors and where you fit in and influence and profit shares and things like that. It started to understand. Have you found that being a, an EOT and an employee ownership trust yourself it actually has helped you with advising other businesses who may be considering that as a path? Yeah, absolutely. So um, advising business owners um, on becoming uh, an employee ownership trust is is something we advise on. But certainly we've done transactions over the last few months where actually the advice that we can give is is much more rounded because we're not just saying this is what the law says and this is legally how you approach it, but actually practically we've been through this and these are some of the practical considerations to take into account and some of the you know, potential issues around communications, um, some of the discussions we had internally about how to structure the profit share. Do you go level playing field? Everyone gets the same, which is what we've done. Or do you link it to salary or or the certain other um, objective metrics you can link it to? And I think the feedback we've had from clients actually is having that direct insight into you've experienced that firsthand is actually really valuable. Um, because a lot of people, they're fumbling around in the dark. They're going, well, I think this is best, but I don't know for certain. Sorry to ju- yeah. jump in. We can also recognise where there needs to be a cultural shift 
for a business. I don't think it's needed to be a massive cultural shift for our business in terms of transforming into an employee-owned business. But for other businesses, it really would be because letting go is a massive thing. The control from a founder and being able to, to move away from that could be quite testy. And I'm sure when Richard's advising clients, he might be able to spot that and, and address it because there does need to be a change of, of, of mindset around it. Um, not only is it fascinating, it sounds massively encouraging. I'd be tempted to have a word with my own employer. <laughs> Whether it would go that way, I don't know, but there'd be many listeners out there. Now you've managed to go through both process and also what the benefits are for yeah. us, maybe a realistic option for them, which leaves me, I suppose, Jonathan, with the final question, which is what are the first steps? How do you start this process? Well, I suppose everyone needs to recognise it doesn't work for every business. It really doesn't. And we were very fortunate because the three owners or the three founders were aligned in what their objectives and direction were. And that's not always the case, OK? And, and you know, we were, we're a pretty strong business and we've, we've got a strong identity and that was that was going to fit. For others who want to be thinking about this, because um, it would be one option for them, um, they'd go to their accountant probably first up because they will be able to go through the options in terms of succession planning or or or, or, or basically putting themselves in a position so that they could continue to grow. And this would be one of the options, probably one of five or six options that they would have. The alternative is to, you know, come to us or another law firm, preferably us and Richard, in order to discuss it through. And then there will be also other business advisors and what have you. But I, I would I would probably say accountant, lawyer, that's your starting point. What I typically say to clients um, is, because this is, this is part of a succession plan, ultimately, um, you probably be, need to be thinking about your succession plan at least two to three years years out um, as to actually EOT is an option, trade sale might be an option, family business succession. There's, there's lots of options. This is one of many. I know I certainly would recommend going to Richard's team uh, in the first instance if you've had that initial conversation with your accountant, in which case you will find them at isonharrison.co.uk. Thank you. Thank you.